As already mentioned, we will be back in the sanctuary next Sunday. That is going to be so nice. We're looking forward to that. In two weeks, I'll be starting a series entitled Celebrating Our Foundations. Just uh, basic biblical teachings and doctrines that in the evangelical community and uh, as Southern Baptists that we hold to just as Christians in general. And we're going to be talking about some of those celebrating our foundations and we'll be going over what we believe and, and why and what the Bible says about that. So uh, you look forward to that. Bring a notebook and a, or a notepad and a pen beginning in two weeks from today as we, we talk about that. I want to ask you this morning to find Psalm 46 in your copy of the Scripture. And we're going to talk this morning about a God for times just like these. A God for times just like these. Psalm 46. And when you find your place in your copy of God's Word, I want to invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word, please. A God for times just like these. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The holy habitation of the Most High, God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters His voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. That is Paul's. Think about this. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how He has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. And Father, indeed, we do want to pause and reflect on these words. Words that remind us of your strength, your comfort, your power. And also the fact that you are ever present with your people. There's not a trial that we go through. There's also not a mountaintop that we experience in life. There's no experience high or low. No trouble, no celebration, nothing in our lives, Lord, that you are unaware of. You guide us in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. You're our shepherd, you're our refuge, you're our shelter. And God, I pray that someone here today would be reminded of that. 
And it's someone who is outside of the fold of your family would be drawn to you today that they would become a sheep in your pasture. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. A God for times like these. Martin Luther is one of the key figures in all of church history. He was a man mightily used of God for the reformation of the church. The year 1527 was perhaps the most difficult year in his entire life. After ten demanding years of leading the reformation, a dizzy spell came over him one Sunday in the middle of a sermon. The date was April 22nd, 1527. And a dizzy spell so severe came over him, he had to end up leaving the pulpit that day. And it forced him to stop preaching for a while. From that point, a number of ailments hit Luther. Such as heart problems, intestinal problems. At one point, Luther feared for his life. And then he entered into a period of great discouragement and even depression. Deep depression. About the same time, the Black Plague entered Germany and spread into the Wittenberg area where Luther was. Many people fled. But Luther and his wife Katie remained, believing it was their duty to care for the sick and the dying. Luther's home was transformed into a hospital where he watched many friends die. Even their one-year-old son named Hans became deathly ill. With hardship, affliction, sickness, death surrounding Luther on every side, Psalm 46 became the strength of his soul. In fact, it was a result of his meditation and study on Psalm 46 that Martin Luther wrote the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. I want you to listen to the words of that hymn again. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. Were not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Folks like Martin Luther, the author of Psalm 46, found solace. He found refuge in God during difficult times. 
As we look at this psalm today, I want you to see that, that it isn't only the Luthers that need to be reminded of the greatness and the power and the majesty of God. As you and I go through life, we need to go through life with such a God-centered approach to life. Whatever we might be going through at the time. We need to make sure, we need to make certain that our difficulties don't blind us to the presence and the purposes of God. If we really believe in the sovereignty, the power, the goodness of God, then as we witness the world around us falling apart, or maybe we ourselves going through very unpleasant circumstances, whatever comes our way will be easier to handle in life and make it through if we can keep our eyes on God. This is a psalm that almost seems to be uniquely tailored to what all we've been through the last year. And what we see in Psalm 46 is a confession of God's power, God's presence, His goodness, and the ultimate victory that He brings to His children. Now I want to tell you this morning, if you're somebody who takes your eyes off of God, this psalm isn't going to mean very much to you. But to the one who cries out to God through all the valleys and the trials and the troubles of life, this is a psalm perhaps like none other. I want you to see with me first of all this morning, God's person. God's character is always dependable and steadfast and true. He says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. You know, today we commonly groan and suffer in various ways. That's the human experience in a fallen world. It reminds us of what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. He says in verse 22 and 23, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit... We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Folks, look at the kind of world we live in. We live in a fallen world. We live in a world where bad things happen, even to what, who we would call good people. We live in a world of sin and strife and division where we have an enemy that is at work and we experience trials and tribulations at every turn. Sometimes it seems like there is difficulty and tragedy everywhere. And sometimes what do people tend to do? Sometimes people feel like they can insulate themselves or protect themselves through something that the world has to offer. Some feel as though they can protect themselves if they, if they can only gather around themselves and their family enough resources, enough money, enough power, enough goods, that somehow or another they'll be insulated from the difficulties of the world and they won't experience it as badly as others around them. I think of the man Jesus told about in the story in Luke chapter 12, the rich young ruler, uh, not the rich young ruler, the rich man, the rich farmer. He had a bumper crop year. And he said, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to tear down my barns. I'm going to build bigger and better ones. 
And I'm going to put all my goods into that. And then I'm going to sit back and take it easy because I've got it made. I mean, I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. And God, God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul shall be required of you. You see, he thought his security and his future was in what he laid up in store for himself. And he lost it all. And he had not given attention and priority to what mattered most. And that was his relationship with God. Others look to family and friends. But things can happen there also to make those securities disappear. Well, I want you to notice where this psalm begins. It does not begin with man. And it does not begin with the upheavals of life that verses 2 and 3 are going to talk about. Where does it begin? It begins with God. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in time of trouble. That's where it begins. And folks, that's a great lesson for us. What do we often do? We often start with where we are. With what we're facing. And I would submit to you today that's the wrong place to start. It's not that it doesn't matter whatever you might be facing. Because it does matter. It may be what's keeping you awake at night. But it's not the place to start. The place to start is God. Folks, for the believer, God ought to be the filter through which we look at all of life and all of the experiences of life. Let's be honest, not everything makes sense unless we believe that God has an ultimate plan. If God doesn't have an ultimate plan, then we would be at the mercy of whatever comes along next. But if God has an ultimate plan, then we need to view life through that lens. God didn't want Noah just focusing on the flood and the flood alone. He wanted Noah to focus on him and build the ark. God wanted to renew the covenant with Noah and his family. And God was basically going to start over, start humanity over with, with Noah and his family members. God didn't want uh, Moses just simply focusing on Pharaoh. He wanted Moses to go in his power and deliver his people. God was going to lead his people to the promised land where he was going to do great and mighty things in and through them. If we start with the problem or the situation and we get too caught up in that, we're already behind. If God calls you to do something that's difficult, you need to focus on God who called you to do that. If you focus on God, you know that He will see you through. Again, I'm not suggesting this will be easy, but I am suggesting it's the right perspective to have. Begin with God. 
Every person in the army of Israel looked at the size of Goliath. Here was a giant and none of them one-on-one could take him on. But David, on the other hand, looked at God and he said, Who is this Philistine who is mocking our God? David knew God was more than big enough to take on Goliath and take care of Goliath. If we start at the wrong place, if we start with the Goliaths of life, it's going to negatively impact the entire journey. Because that's all we're going to focus on. If it has to do with something God's led you to do, You won't do it if all you see is the difficulty behind it. If it's a trial you're going through, you'll despair because because you'll give up at the very beginning. You won't see what God's trying to do in your life through that trial. But again, if you start with God, it shapes everything. Everything. Look at how he describes God here. God is our refuge. Now, now let's take a moment about the context to this because the context actually adds power and significance to what he's saying. Many scholars believe that the historical background to this psalm is when the Assyrian king Sennacherib came against Judah. You can read all about it in 2 Kings chapter 18 and then again. Uh, 2 Kings 19 to see the end of the story. You'll remember what happened. That the Assyrians were on the march. They were on the move. And, and it was time to go against Judah. And Hezekiah and the people of Judah, Sennacherib, and the Assyrian soldiers had Hezekiah and the people of Judah shut up inside of Jerusalem. And and Sennacherib was threatening what all he was going to do. And and he was saying, do you think your God's going to deliver you? I mean, just look at all the gods of the other nations. Have their gods helped them against my power and my might? You see, he was comparing the God of Israel to the false gods of the other nations. And he was saying, they hadn't helped those nations. Do you think God's going to help you? And Sennacherib lays the whole, I mean, uh, Hezekiah lays the whole problem out before God in prayer. And, and God tells him, just be patient and wait. God's going to take care of it. Of course, we know the end of the story. In a single night, while the Assyrian army is encamped around Jerusalem, ready to destroy the people of Israel. God sends his angel in the night and the Assyrian army wakes up the next morning and 185,000 of their soldiers are dead. Sennacherib packs up what's remaining and he gets out of there and he gets back to, to Nineveh. And in Nineveh, his own sons take his life while he's in the temple of his false god worshiping. That's the background. 
how they were surrounded by an enemy and, and God was their shelter, God was their refuge, God was their strength. We know what a refuge is. It's a, it's a hiding place. It's a place where you run for cover. And for the believer, God is our refuge. He adds to that that God is our strength. There are countless times in life that, that we face things that we don't have the strength to deal with. Hezekiah and the people of Judah would have been power, powerless against the Assyrians. The Assyrians were the terrorists of their day. When they flexed their muscles, everybody in the ancient world trembled because they were so ruthless. And they didn't just defeat their enemies with overwhelming force. They would do that, but they would also torture them before they murdered them. They would hang skulls and skeletons around the walls of their main city, Nineveh, as a warning to people who would try to attack them. You attack us and this is what's going to happen to you. It's no wonder when God called Jonah to go to Nineveh. He didn't want to go to them. And humanly speaking, had the Assyrians attacked Judah, matching human force against human force, it would have been no contest. And Hezekiah and the people of, of Judah, they knew this. They knew they were no match for Sennacherib and the Assyrians. But God was their strength. There are times when we're faced with things in life that we're no match for. You get a doctor's report. You get the pink slip at work and you're out the door. You face a crisis with one of your children. Your spouse leaves and says they're never coming back. There are times when we need a strength that is something outside of ourselves, that is greater than ourselves. And the psalmist is saying at times like that for the believer, God is the one who is our strength. He's not only our shelter and our refuge giving protection, but He's also our strength. And He gives to us a strength beyond anything that we possess on our own. Well, he adds another aspect to God's person or God's character. God is our present help in time of trouble. Think of that, a present help. Or as some translations say it, an ever-present help. There's never a time that He's not a help to His people. And you know, we read the Bible and we see that. We see that He's been a past help. We read the stories about how, how God protected Abraham or Moses or the children of Israel. But folks, he, He's not just the God of the past who was a past help. The Bible also talks about God being a future help. We read the end of the Bible and we see how it all turns out. So God's a future help. But He's not just a future help. He's not just a past help, not just a future help. God is an ever-present help. Remember what Jesus told His disciples? I will not leave you as orphans. I will be with you. I hear stories from our people all the time. A widow lady might say, Pastor, I had no idea what I was going to do. 
I couldn't even get in and out of my house. And all of a sudden, the men of the church showed up and they built me a ramp. They built access so I could get in and out of my house. A family in our church, their loved ones on a mission field in a difficult area. We're purposely vague because they're in a difficult area. They got word, you got to leave the country within 10 days. Well, they got word from that government this week. You can stay after all. Folks, you think things like that are a coincidence? No. It's because God is a present help to those who are in trouble. Secondly, I want you to see the believer's confidence, hope, and security beginning there in verse 2. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its, at its swelling. What's the conclusion to verse 1 here? The psalmist says, therefore, therefore we will not fear. And look at what he does next. Don't miss this. Does he say we will not fear when things are going along pretty well? No. He, he lists out some of the very worst things that could happen. He says, though the earth should give way or the earth should change. What he's talking about here is cataclysmic events that se- seems like it sends the world uh, reeling in, in anguish. <laughs> kind of seems like 2020, doesn't it? Look at how he goes on to describe it. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam. Folks, he's talking about things here that are so bad, everything around him on earth is affected. Symbolically, the mountains sliding into the sea, the waters foaming, as in something in anger, the, the, the mountains quaking. He could be talking here about natural disasters. He could be talking about things like financial collapse. He could be talking about wars. Anything around us where it seems like the world as we know it is falling apart. And everything around us isn't the security that it's once been. Everything's changing. That's what he's talking about. Verses 4 to 6, picture Jerusalem being attacked. With an attack coming in the morning hours when they would happen so often. Verse 6, the nation's raging. This is a psalm that is addressing the very worst sort of things falling upon a person or society. Kind of like Luther faced. On the one hand, he was battling for the reformation of the church. On the other hand, his son almost died. Still, on another hand, he lost his health. When his health was gone, he suffered mental depression and anguish. Then the black plague hit and everybody around him was dying. I mean, every direction Luther looked, there was despair and anguish. The world was being Turned upside down in his day. Now fortunately times of trials like that don't happen every day to the believer. And thank God for that. You know most of the time trials in life are kind of spread out aren't they? Life is 
kind of peppered with them instead of life just being poured out with them. But whether it's a creek or whether it's a raging river of tribulation, notice what he says here. We will not fear. Uh, again, it goes back to verse 1 and, and the, to the rock and the refuge that God is for His people. That's the security we have as children of God. Verse 7 says, the Lord of hosts is with us. Think about that name for a minute. You know what the name Lord of hosts means, don't you, in the Old Testament? It was the battle name for God. When the children of Israel were going into battle and God would go with them and before them, He's described as being the one who's the Lord. Lord of hosts. It refers to those times that, that they would have God with them and, and all of the heavenly hosts, God's angels would be with them and, and God would go before them. A couple of months ago, I don't remember now if it was a Sunday morning or Wednesday night, I reminded you about what was going on between Syria and Israel on one occasion, how Benadad and his troops, every move they would make to come against Israel, Israel would know what they were about to do. And Benadad thought there was an enemy in his ranks, a spy. And they said, Master, it's not that way at all. There's a prophet in Israel. The things you whisper in your bedroom, he tells to the king of Israel. They know every move you're going to make because of Elisha the prophet. Well, you know what Benadad says, right? Well, if there's a prophet who tells the king of Israel everything we're going to do in the, in the battle plans, we've got to go get rid of the prophet. And so he takes the armies of Syria, surrounds Elisha's house. Elisha's servant comes out, sees Benadad's troops all around. He's scared to death. Goes in, Elijah. Uh, Elisha, do you see who's out there? We're done for. What's Elisha do? Lord, open his eyes. Because Elisha says, there's more with us than with them. I can imagine the servant going back over to the window and looking out and saying, Oh, I see me and you. One, two, and I see an army there. What are you talking about? And Elisha says, God opened his eyes. God opened his eyes and he went out and looked again. And the Lord of hosts and all the encampment of angels was around them. And the angel of the Lord blinded Benadad and his troops. The Lord of hosts. If the Lord of hosts is with you, you don't have to fear. You don't have to fear. God is with us. And folks, you know the wonderful thing is you can, you can draw a straight line from this passage over to Matthew chapter 1. The birth of Jesus. You shall call his name what? Emmanuel, meaning what? God is with us. Folks, that's what we celebrate at Christmas every year, right? God is with us. He sent his son to take care of what we need most. He took care of our sin problem. And then through his resurrection, those in Christ will be raised one day. Now all of that doesn't imply that God's always going to swoop in and take care of all of your problems and trials right here now. But guess what? Ultimately and for all of eternity, these things will be addressed. 
And the world will be set right. All that is wrong in the world, all that is wrong in your life is going to be made right one day. The Lord of hosts is with us. God is with us. Do not fear. He's an ever-present help. And then thirdly, I want you to see an awesome invitation to the tired, troubled, and battered saint. Verse 8 says, Come, behold the works of the Lord, how He has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. It's like he's inviting the reader to study the attributes of God. And not just the attributes of God, the activity of God. And I want you to notice where he ends. He ends in many ways like where he started. He ends with a focus on God. I want you to notice the distinctiveness of this invitation. What what do we do when we experience something bad or we hear something bad or painful? Just like I said earlier today, we immediately focus on whatever it is that's disturbed our peace and tranquility. But what's the invitation here? Again, first focus on God. Get a fresh glimpse of Him and take a look at what He's done. He says how He has brought desolations on the earth. When we see how God's acted in the past, it gives us assurance for how God's going to act today and tomorrow because God's the same yesterday, today, and forever, the Bible says. And then He comes around to verse 10. He's not just calling on us to spend some quiet moments in devotion. It's a command that means be still, relax, cease striving, quit fretting, worrying. Know that God is sovereign. Stop striving. Stop scheming and planning and laying awake at night trying to come up with your own solutions and plans. He's saying just cease. Cut all of that out. It's a warning and a promise. It's a promise to those who know the Lord. Cease, be still, trust God, stop worrying. It's like what Jesus said in Matthew 6. Stop worrying about all the details of your life. It's really an invitation for those who know the Lord to realize that, that God is He's still sovereign. He's still in control. We can trust Him with our life. We can, we can trust Him with all the situations and affairs in the world. If we say He's sovereign and we say that we trust Him then stop fretting, cease, be still. No. He's God. He's still on the throne of the universe. He's still on the throne of your life. What's going on in the world hasn't changed that one bit. To those scheming and planning against God's people, like Sennacherib and the Assyrians were doing with Hezekiah and the people of Judah. 
It's a strong warning to them. Cease. Stop. Back off. What you're planning will not work. It will not succeed. Leave my people alone. I will be exalted among the nations. Folks, think about that. How Sennacherib was mocking God. You think your God's going to do what the other gods of the nations haven't been able to do? against me and their behalf again he wasn't considering that the God of Israel is the true and the living God when God did to the Assyrian army what he did and Sennacherib packed up and got out of there fast uh, that kind of brings new meaning to this I will be exalted among the nations what do you think the Assyrians were saying they were probably saying there is no God like Israel's God We just thought we'd be a match for him. And God was exalted among the nations. So either way, a warning or a promise, it's more than just have quiet reflection. It includes that, but it's more than that. It is an invitation for people to marvel at God. Marvel at God. Think about what God's done. Think about what He is doing and will do. And marvel at God. You know, that's a problem with modern man, isn't it? When we think about what modern man has accomplished, we think about technology, we think about science and inventions, we we think about all these things. And sometimes we may lose the wonder of it all, lose the wonder of what God has done. Folks, God has done things that man in all of his wisdom and strength could never do. Cease, be still. Marvel at God and what God's able to do. All over the world this morning as the sun comes up. Think of the billions and billions, not just billions, trillions and trillions of all the creatures in the world. From the tiniest little insects to the elephant and the largest fish in the sea. Think of all the creatures. Think of all the plants. All the things in the world that tomorrow morning when the sun comes up. God feeds them all. God provides for all of them. Folks, isn't that amazing? The tides. The orbit of the planets. Gravity. All of this that God does. For a couple mornings now, when I get up and take the dog out, there's a woodpecker who's busy pounding away on a tree at my back deck. And I look up and see that little woodpecker. And God's put a shock absorber in that woodpecker so he doesn't beat his brains out. God did that. 
God designed him so his brain doesn't float like ours to beat against the skull. Causing a concussion. But God designed his brain differently. And then his tongue wraps all the way around his brain up the back and over the top and and forms like a, a, a spring. And when that little woodpecker is pecking away, I mean, the human body, think of a fighter jet pilot, the most G-forces that his body can stand, and only for a few seconds is nine Gs. But that little woodpecker going, he's experiencing 1,200 Gs. God did that. Scientists are now studying woodpeckers to see what they can learn. NFL people, race car drivers, high schoolers, junior high, getting concussions. What can we learn from the woodpecker's brain and design so we can address man getting concussions and brain injuries? We're still trying to figure it out. God's already done it in something as small and insignificant to us as a woodpecker. God did that. And so what's the invitation? Cease. Be still. Marvel at God and what, who He is and what He's done. And then there's a huge point that he makes in closing by saying the God of Jacob is our fortress. I mean, you remember Jacob? Jacob was a trickster and a deceiver who tricked his brother Esau out of the birthright. But then what happened to Jacob? He had an encounter with God and God changed his life. God led him through a land he did not know. He brought him back safely. He he gave Jacob a new name, Israel, after he changed his character. And so Jacob went from being the trickster, the heel grabber, the the deceiver, to one who is a prince with God. And, And God built a nation out of Jacob's descendants. What's the significance of that? To say the God of Jacob? is a powerful reminder to us that God can take very imperfect men, a man like Jacob, a rascal like Jacob, a liar, a cheat, a deceiver, and God can take men like that and and change men and women like that and lead them and do great things in and through them. Marvel at God. Marvel over what he's not not just able to do in creation with things, but marvel at what he's able to do with people's lives. Marvel over what he's able to do with your life. Be still and know that he's God. I want to ask you to bow in prayer with me this morning. What about you today? Do your eyes and affections need to be on God? Maybe you feel like Martin Luther or Hezekiah, either one. Maybe life hasn't been especially kind to you in recent days. 
And it would be so easy to focus on yourself and your problems. But you know what? That's only going to increase the despair. Focus on God. Simon Peter said in 1 Peter 4.19, Therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. You know, many people get angry at God or they say, that's it. What good is it to serve Him? Peter says, entrust your soul to a faithful creator while doing good. You need to do that today? Focus on God so that He will be your security. If you look at the world and see all the changes and upheavals and the mess the nation's in, it'd be easy to fear. There's nothing in this world that's our security. But if God is your refuge and strength, you don't have to fear. Today, do you need to cease striving and worrying? and Be still and know that He's God. Put everything in His hands. Rest in Him. And marvel at God. You know, if you'll do that, it's going to free you up to do what He's called you to do. Cease worrying about what you can't do a thing about. Get busy serving the Lord and doing what He's called you to do. Father, this is indeed a psalm for times like this. Because it puts our attention on a God for times like these. And what you're able to do. Lord, help us to rest in you and look to you and put you first in all things. And not strive and worry over that which we can't do anything about. Help us to trust you and do what you've called us to do. And put the rest into your hands. Because this world, the universe, everything about it, this is your business. It's not ours. This is your business. And you're still sovereign. And God, I do pray that that will be a bedrock of, of assurance for somebody here today. Lord, if there's somebody who doesn't know Christ, maybe right now they'd say, you know, I need a God like that directing my life. And that even now they would come to Christ so that they may find rest for their souls. And it's in His name that we pray. Amen. Would you stand, please?